you, Lord, for the beauty of your church. Thank you for Trinity Central. Thank you for these last two years. Thank you for your church for the last 2,000 years. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. And thank you for just being the type of God we can love and just embrace and be in relationship with. Thank you that you raise us up. Thank you that you don't, in a sense, you don't demand obedience, but you actually draw us in and you woo us in and you, you love us. You lay down your life for us that we can call, be called to follow you, to become like you. What an incredible privilege. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us and strengthens us and transforms us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a God that loves us and cares for us. And just thank you. Thank you for just how faithful you are. Amen. Let me have a seat. Partly realized that um, in preparing for this morning, I was so preparing for what it meant for Barry and Rebecca, and I'm like, oh, I forgot it was our two-year celebration. And I'm like, oh, whoops, we're actually celebrating like what we have done and what God has done here and what we've been able to be a part of. And yeah, it's, man, it's such a privilege just looking around and looking at what God has done. It's like seeing, yeah, people join our church after four years of marriage or so, and uh, the privilege of marrying Pian Talani four years ago, but four years and about four days or three days. Um, thinking of like Barry and Rebecca, if you guys don't know, they actually met in this lounge. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing for me to see just the stories that God has like weaved together. And yeah. And is it one, two, three, four, five, six, six about seven or eight couples like just in this like room or this. Wow. Okay. Reardon's anniversary today. But I also married them. Like Dean and Steph, Baron Rebecca, Piantolani. Gerald and Laney, yeah, Julian and Caro, like I had the privilege of marrying each and every one of them, um, or at least officiating the ceremony where they married each other and God did something amazing, and otherwise I'd have like a strange dynamic, we're not that type of a church, it's just making make that clear, um, no, that's more cultish than Old Testament vibes. But I've been studying the book of Judges recently, and it might seem like a strange thing to like raise here, but the whole theme of the book of Judges is kind of summed up in the last verse where it's like, there was no king in the land, so everybody did what seemed right to them, what was right in their own eyes. And it was just this picture of humanity without a king, and it's just this lawless picture where People would go off the rails repeatedly and we just get lost and we, we slaves to our passions and our desires and our sins and like the whole, it's, 
supposed to be this incredible period of the Israelite nation where they've just conquered the land. Moses is handed over to Joshua. Joshua has led the conquest of the land. And they haven't quite finished the job. And then they hand over and they, they left in this tumultuous, like, in-between time where people had this opportunity of either pressing in and moving forward with God or getting enticed by the world around them. And like in change of leadership and change of times, it's everybody's faced with that opportunity. So each one of you is faced with that opportunity of like, where are you, you going to go? Are you going to go after God? Are you going to go after His ways? Or are you going to get distracted by the world around you? Are you going to get distracted by what the world has on offer? And the reality is it's a tension inside of all of us. And the temptation is to look to a man, a person, like in, in the embodiment that the Israelites had. They, had, they wanted a king. We want a king like other nations so that that king can go and fight for us and give us the financial prosperity and the future and the security that we long for. The problem is that king comes with other burdens. And honestly, in church, we look for the same thing. Give me a powerful pastor that's going to fight my battles for me because then I don't have to. Like, it's... it's it's challenging, but it's like we, we want somebody that's going to actually partly fulfill the role of like a priest. Go between me and God. So they're going to give me the answers. They're going to fight my battles. They're going to give me like the, the truth of Scripture in a neatly packaged way so that I don't have to. And that's not maybe what we think. We just, we're desperate and we're looking for some answers. And a pastor fulfills that like convenient role. And there's something of this, like, man, but there's a tension of, but we need a king, and we need the rightful king in place. And you can read Judges, and it kind of seems like that. It's like, okay, but we need to put, like, a helpful king in place. We need to put a helpful structure in place, a helpful political system. And that's what the Israelites were looking for. It's like, give me the king as this helpful political system that's going to fight my battles for me, that's going to answer all the questions, that's going to give me a, a nice bit of security. But I want to say that that's actually not what the picture of Judges is about. The picture of Judges is that we need God in His rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. And as Christians, we need Jesus Christ as our king in His rightful place in our life. We don't need the right pastor and the right church structure so that we would function. We need God in His rightful place. So if, in submission to God, He will transform us. And yes, we will function in a healthy way as a church and as a community. And we're going to get onto that, that there is a place for healthy leadership. But I think what we long for and what we look for in leadership is different to what the New Testament and the whole biblical picture is supposed to trying to give us. So, anyway, that's what I say. I, get, I got lost. Man, I wanted to like, we were supposed to celebrate today. It's like, man, look back at what God has done. And it has been incredible. But it's also a day to actually ordain Barry and Rebecca, and specifically Barry, into a new role of leadership. And as I was praying about it and thinking about it, that there's an element of us recognizing and ordaining like Barry to this role. 
But actually, it's not us doing it that makes it so. It's us recognizing what God has already done in his life. And that's what Paul writes to Timothy and Titus. And he says, like, actually, appoint leaders. But it's basically, it's like, almost recognize men that are already representing what we need. And then select them and say, this is the, the men that should be the overseers. Just as an example of a way of life, of following God. So I want to read this. It's 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I don't think I can think of a better person that fulfills those criteria than Barry. I'm going to read, Paul also writes to Titus. It's like, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. As God's steward, he must be above reproach. And so God appoints leaders for this task. Not not because of their gifting, not because of how impressive they are, but he appoints people that can be godly stewards. Any monumental or like important sermon in the life of Trinity Central has to involve some Lord of the Rings quote. And so the the role that is given here is as a steward. And it just reminded me of, if you guys know, there's the stewards of Gondor. It's like there's in entire like kingdom, the kingdom of men, basically their, their kings have been lost, the lineage of the kings. If, you, if you're familiar with the story, that's the role that Aragorn plays. And he's the long lost king that's actually been in a far distant land defending and like on the outskirts defending, but in the shadows behind the scenes. And they're waiting for this longing return of the king. But until that happens, there's been a, a different line that's been placed in temporary charge as stewards. They're supposed to look after the kingdom, but it's not their own. They're supposed to care for the community as if it were their own, but they're not entitled like rulers, so they don't have ownership. And that is the picture of an elder. It's not your church. It's not what you get to decide and build. It's not, hey, this is my vision of church, my unique. It's like we've had this chat where people come to me, it's like, what is your unique vision of church? I don't have one. I'm trying to just say, man, I just want to build God's church. 
and love and lead a community that loves Jesus. And the reason I trust Barry is because I see that same heart. Where I don't think I've met a more naturally humble person than Barry. It's like off-putting. It's like, how? It's like disconcerting. It's like, man, I have to work to be like this. It's like, how do you do this naturally? I need it. I need to have like quiet time just to like have that response. But Barry's just like, ah, oh, no, I love you. Like, I forgive you. This is this. But I think it's because God appoints leaders in this shape and form. And I've just, I've had the privilege of recognizing a transformation in Barry and Rebecca from when they first came into our life group many years ago where God had been preparing them already, there was already like the, the seeds of what we see now. And you could, you could see it almost like in this fledgling um, point of view. But to watch it actually develop and take root and start to actually bear fruit, it's like, you think of Rebecca, loves her gardening, but it's like, it's, there's a picture of watching a seed go from just the potential that's there to actually growing up and becoming a plant that's actually bearing fruit and there's strength that's actually been like tested. I can see Barry has dug deep roots and because of that we can actually start seeing how that's benefiting those around him. But then there's a, a call like once God appoints leaders that those that are around them actually need to submit to that. And that's where like, the challenge comes in with us because it's like, oh, but, no, but you said God is king, so I submit to him, so I don't need to have anybody in between. And we, we swing between the two, especially when, when we like it, we want leaders that are going to be strong and give us the answers. But when we want to make a decision, oh, it's just me and God, God told me. And, and there's a tension there. But learning to actually submit is learning to trust what God has placed in your leaders. And I'm in an incredibly privileged position at the moment because I can speak like this because in three months I'm going to be gone. So you can't be that offended with me. (laughs) And I'm not doing it for my own personal gain. I'm doing it because I want you to understand this. The more you can actually invite godly counsel and wisdom into your life, the better it's going to go for you. Not asking it for your leader's point of view. When you're making a big life choice, don't make it on your own. Not because you need anybody else's permission, but I guarantee you can benefit from their wisdom. It's like, when was the last time when you needed to make a big decision, you actually took it to somebody that's not going to give you the answer you want, but it's actually going to give you a godly perspective and he's actually going to pray with you about it. And so what, what does God want here? I've been in church for a long time and in church leadership for quite a long time. And generally when I get included in the process is once the decision's been made. And it's like, hey, God told me this. And I'm like, cool. I, I can't speak into that anymore because God's already told you. Now if I'm saying something different, I'm contradicting your God. 
And if I have a different perspective, like maybe, I, maybe we have a different God at that point. It's like, it's, a, it's just a challenging perspective. But if you say, actually, man, I'm thinking about this. What do you think God would say in this? Where, where do you think we should go? What's the next job that I should take? What's a healthy way for me to lead my family? What's, what should I do in my relationship situation? Should we, should we get involved, like married? Should we like, pursue kids at this moment? Should we go here? It's like the sooner you involve somebody that's going to have wise counsel that maybe has a different perspective to you, the better I think you're going to be equipped to make a godly decision. Not because our wisdom is infallible, but just maybe we've walked with God a little bit longer. Maybe we understand you and love you and want the best for you. Because I think that is the picture of like godly leadership. Not because we want to have control over your decisions or what you should do or where you should go. But I'd love to be able to pray with you and decide together of what God is, how God is leading you. This might seem a bit weird, but I, I think that's how church should work. Because there should be the relationships where it's like, wait, we're a community. We're a family. It's like me and my dad. I, I don't go to my dad and just say, hey, I've decided these things. I go to him before the decision is made and say, help me understand this. What, what is your perspective? That doesn't take the responsibility off of me making the decision. But then I just have the benefit of his wealth of wisdom to actually make a more informed decision. And it might not change my decision, but it may influence it. And it may give me a perspective that I haven't had before. And we're gonna, Barry's actually going to teach on submission in two weeks' time. <laughs> I gave him an easy one too. So from Ephesians 4. But it's, it's, it's a picture of how do we submit. Because... In marriage, there has to be a way of submission. Somebody has to make a final decision and you have to submit to something that's something maybe greater than the two of you combined. And you have to submit to God's ways over your ways. I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but it's when you read your Bible, when is the last time God disagreed with you? And who wins? It's like often when we read a Bible verse we don't like, it's like, wow, that seems incredibly challenging. What do we do? Do we change our life? Do we change our perspective? Or do we keep reading until we find a verse we do like and then we focus on that one for the day? <laughs> it's like, it's like, the challenge is like we actually need to learn to submit our will and our ways and our plans and our visions and our dreams to what God wants. Not because He's a killjoy, but because He wants the best for us. And there's that, that idea of like submission has to go hand in hand with leadership because leaders have been given like the authority to actually lead. And you think about the word like authority, there's, there's almost this authorization. There's like he has been given and when leaders are placed in, in charge or placed in a, in a role of stewarding God's people, God's church, there's something of the author's imprint that comes upon him. 
so you understand like the author's intent. When you, you read a book, when you read a poem, the author somewhat understands why I'm writing this, why I've placed this in your life, why I have designed you this way. And I think there's something of just a pastoral heart that begins to see, man, this is how God has made Mandy. And I've wired you in this way and I've created you in this way. And I can see how that can fit into the kingdom possibly better than you might see yourself. Just because you're removed from the insecurities that is in your own life. Like so easily we look in the mirror and you see all the faults, all the flaws, all the mistakes. And especially when the enemy lies to you, he wants to focus on the worst parts of yourself and the places where you're weak or the places where you messed up or the last sins. And God is looking and saying, but you, do you realize how I've made you? Do you realize the potential that's locked up inside of you? Do you realize that if you, if you take that aspect of your character and that aspect of your, your capacity, I can use you for the kingdom in ways you never dreamt of? And as a pastor, you start dreaming and praying for people and you can actually start seeing that come to life. And as a steward of that, you become like a gardener that's, man, I just want to cultivate an environment where you can thrive. I want to remove any, like, pests or any, like, anything that's going to destroy what God is building. Just to nurture it and to nurture the soil because you are playing like the long game. You're not trying to just like rip up all the fruit to say, oh, I want to benefit myself. It's actually, I'm going to lay down my life so that you can thrive. So that you can understand what God is like. It's upside down. <laughs> picture of this is when Israel like coming out of judges they're saying oh there's no there was no king so they demanded a king and then they got Saul who was not necessarily the greatest king and then Samuel was called to actually anoint David but when he's trying to find David 1 Samuel 16 he calls all of um, what's it Eli's sons together when they came, so from verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I think I've seen that more and more clearly this year. That God looks on the heart and He selects His leaders based on their hearts. Based on the, like the inner conviction, the character, the, the nature that is there. And if I look on Barry, it's like, I think God has anointed you like David. And 
It's like such a privilege to be able to just be an observer of this, to witness this, to actually see how, how God has prepared you for many years. And like David, you've been off in the wilderness killing bears and <laughs> building tables and being a carpenter. It's like partly David and partly Jesus. It's hmm. actually because we've got a confused perspective of leadership in the world at the moment where we desperately need leadership and we want leadership and then anybody that tries to be a leader gets torn down and I can't help but think the enemy is completely involved in it because you're trying to tear down every system of healthy godly leadership you tear down families you tear down fathers you tear down leaders you tear down pastors and then we sit in the mess and then we say where's the leaders like look at what the mess is we literally we're sitting in this place where it's like judges it's like i want to do whatever i want don't say anything to me my husband's not allowed to say anything to me my father's not allowed to say anything to me we're not allowed to say anything together we're not allowed to stand up for any form of like authority or truth we don't want political leaders that really stand up and tell us the truth we want them to just stand up and give us incredible promises that come with zero responsibility as quick as possible But Jesus says, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to say, like, the humility that Barry has represented or embodied is not just a natural thing. But it's a picture of what God has done in his heart of actually saying, I'm going to submit myself to God's ways, to God's truth. I'm going to submit my life to Him. So I'm going to lay down my life for what He has called me to. Because of that, I believe God has raised Him up as an example to many people. Not because of the immediate promises and prosperity and blessing that He could bring, but because He can be a wise example of what it is like to follow God. When Jesus reached like the Garden of Gethsemane, He's like, Lord, if, it, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to do this, please, can we do it that way? But He says, not my will, but yours be done. The ultimate example of Jesus actually laying down His life for us was Jesus saying, I will submit to the Father. And that's what a leader is called to do. Is not to be the person that has the answers for you. Not to be the person that fixes your problems for you. Not to be the person who makes church a nice, easy, happy place to be because that's going to a place where all of my problems are going to be solved and fixed and I'm going to go there and there's going to be financial blessing and I'm going to meet my spouse and marriage is just going to be easy because... It, no. The leader is the, there to actually lay down their life by submitting to God's ways. And by doing that is an example of Christ to us. I believe leadership in the New Testament should be the men that are representing Christ the best. Nothing else. 
It's not a thing of external ability or external charisma or giftedness. It's not the person that can preach the best. It's not the person that can do life the best. It's not the person that, wow, everybody's drawn to that person. It's the person that represents Christ in human flesh as best as possible. And Barry will not do that perfectly, but he's about as close as what... No. <laughs> no, it's just... Honestly, just in a... From a friendship perspective, it's like Barry is somebody that can be incredibly trusted. That's why I believe he represents what a, a New Testament elder should be. And that's not something that's... It's like, hey, only elders are called to that. No, every Christian is called to that. Everyone is called to follow Christ and embody Christ in that way. And we all do it in our unique abilities and unique ways with unique giftings and our own personalities. So there's this incredible dynamic of like, God has appointed leaders and we need to learn how to actually submit to them as we submit to Christ. Like, like I said, in our day and age, we want to say, no, we submit to Christ, so I don't have to submit to a man. Or It's like, no, we, we have to understand that there are levels of like, God's authority that He's placed in, in our lives. Some of them is learning to submit to government. Some of them is learning to submit in marriage. Some of them is learning to submit in parent and child relationships. Some of them is learning to submit in a church context. And it takes wisdom to know because at times those things can be distorted and there's a reality of that. So that doesn't mean you submit blindly in marriage. It doesn't mean you submit blindly as children. It, does, it doesn't mean we submit blindly in that political system. But we also can't just reject it just because there has been a potential abuse in the past. So we need to trust God to actually bring healing and restoration in those spaces so we can learn to submit wholeheartedly to God's plan and perfect vision for our lives. Hmm. Lord, I pray that you do that. You'd help us to have a a fresh revelation of what it means to understand authority and submission in our lives, to recognize godly leaders, to learn how to submit to them, but actually to really see how our leaders represent Christ in this world and how we are called to do the same, that we can actually represent Jesus to the world and a godly way of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Barry and Rebecca. Um, Bex, I actually start with you. Because I've been stuck in like judges, I was just reminded of Deborah. And like Deborah is one of the, the judges that was just in charge of leading 
like that area or that nation. It's like the, the judges weren't like um, political leaders for the whole of Israel, but there's a picture of Deborah where it's like now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. But then she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom. Sheesh, these names. Makes it easier when you read quietly. From Kedesh Naphtali. And said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go and gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. There's a picture of like, Deborah actually judging the whole nation, and she was the one that everybody would come to for her wisdom and for an insight, but not just hers, but because she had a relationship with God. She could provide godly wisdom for the situation. And then she's the one who actually calls Barak and he says, has not God told you this? Because God had already obviously spoken to Barak, but he was reluctant to go. And she was almost like she was the proactive one, poking and prodding and saying, God's made you for more. Like kicking him in the backside, basically like, Barry, God's made you for more. Like, don't be quiet. Now's not the time to be humble. Now's the time to actually step forward. Spurgeon has this thing of like humility where he describes humility or what some people describe as humility. It's like, oh, no, uh, leadership at church is not for me or it's not my place to do that. He's like, no, that's just sinful love of ease, not humility. <laughs> because sometimes we can try and pretend to be humble, but actually we're just cowards or we're just lazy and we're not stepping forward to the fullness of what God has. And Deborah was saying, no, actually, there's a fight for you to go and fight. And God has placed a voice inside of you, Rebecca, that you must use. You have prophetic insight into situations that you must never shrink back from. And there's something of like, unfortunately, Barry, the glory is not always going to be yours because, hey, Rebecca needs to be with you. And... I mean, the glory doesn't even go to Deborah in this because the glory actually goes to Jael who like drives the tent peg through Sisera's head and it's quite a gruesome story, but it's one of my favorite. Um, <laughs> at least in Judges, it's, it's one of the, the, the healthier ones. It's like they get quite scary towards the end. But there's something about like, actually, you guys are better together. We're not made to do this alone. I always think of like just the Genesis, man was not made to be alone. It's a picture you are supposed to do this together. And Barry, the word I had for you. 
Psalm 25 verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and He makes known to them His covenant. You don't have to try and be anything you are not. Just be a friend of God. There's other verses that talk about it. That's actually it's the secret counsel, the secret wisdom of God. It's for those who fear Him. You are a man who walks in the fear of God. You walk with a deep reverence for who God is. Because of that, it shapes who you are and the way you treat people. That is what's going to lead you to revelation. Revelation of His covenant. Revelation of His dealing with man and humanity. And His agreement with us. His commitment to us. His covenant is not just this legal contract. But it's actually, it's how much He has declared that this is how I will partner with humanity. With Adam, with Abraham, with Noah, with Moses, with the Israelites. And then eventually in the new covenant, through Jesus, with all of us. And the temple is torn in two and said, like, I am going to lay down my life. All of my resources is for you and for your benefit. And through friendship with God, we don't have tips and techniques and tricks on how to build church. Because church is not a building. It's not an organization. It is people. It is the people of God. And through friendship with God, not clever ways of leading and guiding actually through your intimate relationship with God he's going to show you revelation you never thought possible you guys come up I'm there such a privilege having your family here, partly because it fills up our entire church. <laughs> but also, like, to say, well done to your parents. I was raised some incredible kids here. Thank you for everything that you placed inside of them and what like, uh, being a parent, I know there's Lots of things you, you think you did, did okay and then you know you've made mistakes. But the beauty is that God uses all of those to shape them. And He covers over our mistakes. And He still looks and He says, well done. And He brings healing and He brings restoration. And He, he remembers each and every prayer you prayed. Each and every thought I always think it like Archie Kendall used to have this thing like the, the faint what, hint of a whisper of a prayer. God looks at that. It's like every dream that you had for your kids of saying, God, would you use them? Would you forgive us for that? Would you overlook that? And would you just bring healing and restoration into their life? God looks at each and every one of those as prayers you've prayed for them. And we're witnessing like the fruit of that. So I've asked my, my parents to actually pray for you guys. Um, not just... Yeah, but hold the mic. Check 
It's on. Okay, it's on. <laughs> the, the reason why I asked them to pray is I think we've got a we've got like preconceived ideas of how these things are supposed to go and what's supposed to happen. And I'm not sure I'm getting everything right. But what I do know is that when God called us to plant this church and we were starting there was a moment where my dad anointed me with oil and I just felt God actually saying this was my moment of anointing you actually and that's what I'm trusting for now this is not we've decided that it should be Baron Rebecca I believe God has chosen Baron Rebecca to come on to eldership here and I'm inviting you guys almost like recognize that but we're actually saying, God, would you do something? Would you come and fill them with your spirit? Would you bring a new spirit, a new anointing, a new capacity to step into this role? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, there's so many things going around, but I don't want to talk forever and ever, which I can. You know I can. But um, I just felt like now God is saying, you know, there's a scripture which says there are many vessels in a, in a house. Some are for wood and some, but if you will purge yourself, you will be a vessel of honor that God can use. And I just feel both of you have done that. You have become vessels that God can actually use. And I just saw the Lord like saying, there, every pastor uh, and that raises up a church has a revelation and a part of God, uh, a part of his character. And your part for me anyway is you're so trustworthy. You know, you, you create a safe space. You, you're never going to go up to Barry and he's going to say, listen, get out of my face. You know, it's like, it's, it's like uh, he's, he's a safe no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a safe place. I just saw the Lord like taking his baby and handing it to the two of you and saying, I can trust you. I can trust you with my baby, Trinity, because you are parents. You are trustworthy parents. You will be able to look after them and guide them and raise them up because you're called and you're anointed. And it's like, God, I was reading in um, Numbers Oh, 26 I think it is and he said you know call out a man to stand before the congregation to lead him our place like what Andrew is saying and then lay your hands on them and then God will put a deposit in them because it's God in you that that is going to do the work that's why it doesn't have to be sorry can you hear me Kamu <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry guys. It's God is going to anoint them anyway. So, <laughs> okay, and I've just, and just anoint them with oil. But can I just ask the two fathers to stand? Because this, to me, is a significant event for all fathers, and you, as fathers of this couple, understand fully. I think what I'm saying. In fact, I'm going to ask. Your entire family, every single every single member of your their family that is here present, can you stand? <laughs> almost half the church, almost half the church. Okay, now just look at all the people standing. Just look around you. You know, you know each other. I'm sure you know each other well. 
<coughs> you should do anyway. <coughs> but I, I want to share another scripture out of Numbers, if I may. Numbers 16.9. This is the scripture that the Lord gave me way back in 1980. When I started at Bible school, when I was... And it's Numbers 16, verse 9. It says, does it seem a small thing to you that God has separated you unto himself? Comma. And then to minister to the congregation. Your first calling is always to him. And from that depth, from that understanding, from that wisdom that you get, these witnesses who are standing right here now will witness what God does in your life from now on. And you'll be like a springboard. I, I, I heard the Lord say, this is a divine acceleration in the kingdom. This is an acceleration. We should be all joyful. Just look around at all the family members here. Many years ago, I was in a conference in America, and God said to me, there are noble families in the earth. And that's not putting you on a pedestal. It's just saying that there's a call on your life as a family, as, a, as an anointed family of God, that the two of you will step into in your generation to make a difference for the next generations. So you can sit down now. But I just wanted you to realize how important this is. Because you, you will all look back on this day and you say, that was the day that Barry and Rebecca took a, a leap of faith. They took a springboard. And God confirmed it. And just give me the oil. You've, you anointed them. I want to anoint them again. <laughs> I, I really want God to bless this couple. We've, we've walked away. I, I don't know them as well as Andrew does, but certainly I just want to say, Lord God, anoint them both. Anoint them for your service and your kingdom, that the anointing of God may come upon them, that they would be faithful, that they would be good stewards of the kingdom, and that, Lord God, you would bless them in every way. You'd provide for them. You'd provide opportunities for ministry. You'd provide finance. You'd provide protection. You'd provide security. You provide the anointing of God to confirm what's in their lives. So I pray right now in Jesus' name for Barry and Rebecca that you would step forth in boldness, in humility but in boldness, and that the Lord and the Word of God would dwell richly in you. The Spirit of God would equip you and empower you and activate the gifts in you that are there. Some of them may, you may even think are lying dormant at the moment. But they're going to come to the fore. You're going to see more gifting, more anointing, and more blessing from the Lord in Jesus' name. I just bless you today. Love you both. God bless. I just want to say something that, that the Lord, while well, he was talking about submission. And there's a scripture in the Bible which says, if you give a prophet a glass of water, you will get a prophet's reward. And I've always thought, hmm. And when I was studying this week, it's submission. If you will submit to a prophet, you will get the benefit of his gifting. That's what submission actually gives you access to what God places within them. When you honor them and you see them as your leaders, it gives you the access to what God has given them. So that's why submission is actually such a blessing is because it actually gives you that blessing. Right. Amen.
What am I? We're going to have communion together. Okay. What am I doing? You're going to pray just now? <laughs> You're going to pray. <laughs> okay. What's that? Told you it wouldn't last. Yeah. Pier One's tennis biscuits. Oh. Yeah, I've got a special package just for you. I like it. Um, I just thought the most fitting way for us to actually end the service is to have communion together. It's like we've done this as Trinity Central every single Sunday. Um, <laughs> you don't need to. Just stand up right. You're fine. <laughs> we, we do this not because it's, it's, it's nice to have communion every week. But this is like the pinnacle of every service. This is what we're pointing to. Because this is where we're reminded that Jesus is what makes this all possible. Jesus is what transformed our life. He is the perfect representation of the Father. He is the picture of the covenant that God has made with us. He is what has transformed our hearts and our lives. He is what has allowed us to, to live differently, to, to be like leaders in any shape or form. He is who we are trying to, to be like. His example, His sacrifice, all of that is reminded and like we remember as we do communion, as we take communion, as we celebrate communion, as we have the privilege of remembering this together. Have you guys got So pray for us, pray for them. I'll pray too. You guys are welcome to pray if you want. Father God, I just thank you for Barry and Rebecca, their beautiful hearts, their commitment to you, their love for you, their love for these people, Father God, their servant-heartedness, their faithfulness, Father God, just all godly characteristics so evident in their lives. And I pray now as they take communion, Father God, it's just it's a remembrance of the covenant between us and you, Father. We thank you. For the gift you have given us in them, Father God. That they are going to be the most incredible leaders, not because they have the eight type personalities, but because they love you and they're committed to you and your ways. And it all points to the biggest gift of all, which is you dying for us on that cross. Giving everything, not holding a thing back, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you that you love us with that love that holds nothing back. For your blood and your body broken, broken utterly for us, so that we can be reunited with you, Father God. And this morning, just yeah, a picture of your love for us, gifting Trinity, Barry and Rebecca. I don't know if everyone knows what a gift they are. In the days to come, they will see, they will taste and see what God has placed inside them. God, I pray, make firm their steps as they walk out um, this journey. Leading Trinity, Father. Bless and guide them. Give them wisdom. 
discernment, insight, Father, directly from you. And Father, I pray you are, they are surrounded by the most incredible like families and yeah, Father, I pray they would just encourage and support them, blow wind in their sails. Um, yeah, remind them when they feel like things are too much. Remind them of the God that they serve. And Father, I pray, yeah, for Trinity, your beautiful, beautiful Trinity. Every church of yours is beautiful, Father God. We thank you for every person here who has come so vulnerable and you've embraced them as we've embraced them, Father God. The people being healed here, being set free, and I pray you would continue to do that work, Father God. And like, um, yeah, like Stephen said, an acceleration. I really feel that God is taking all of us to the next level, this next step, and it's going to look different to what we thought, but there's an acceleration spiritually. And I pray we would all open our hearts and be ready for whatever God has to do here and what He wants to do. And Father God, prepare our hearts, make our hands and our feet ready, because with an acceleration comes a, um, yeah, an activation. Each and every one of us who puts up our hand will be used. Oh, we just praise you and we thank you, God. You are so, so good and so kind. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, Lord, for just your sacrifice. Thank you that we can remember it just through communion, your body, your blood. Thank you for the unity that it brings. And then thank you for the leaders that you've given us. Thank you for Barry and Rebecca. Lord, I pray right now that you would anoint them, that you bless them, you'd care for them. You'd give them new giftings, new abilities, new understanding.